Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're only going to read a short section this morning. 2 Kings 6, verses 1 through 7. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Behold now, the place before you where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and each of us take from there a beam and let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Then one said, Please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Then the man of God said, Where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and made the iron float. He said, take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and took it. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. God is watching over the faithful. God is watching over his people. We have this sweet little story here. And it's sandwiched in between glorious, grand miracles of God, and it's just a little miracle. We, it's sandwiched between huge political action. The commander of the Aramean armies coming and being healed of his Sickness. And then later on, the Arameans attacking Israel and the people of Israel suffering greatly under that attack. And we'll come to uh, great suffering in the city of Samaria later on in this chapter. Samaria being the capital city of Israel at that time. The people end up facing such hunger that they are willing to buy and eat anything and even resort to eating their little ones. A terrible terrible story. But here, we simply have this little injection, interjection in the story of what's going on between Israel and Aram with this floating axe head. Now, if you're silly enough to read uh, modern commentators on the Bible, they will spend a lot of time 
talking about what actually happened here. And the modern commentators that I read, of course, said that what happened here is what you read. It happened. An axe head floated. It's a miracle. I don't want to spend any more time on it than that. Either God's word is true, in which case we believe it, or God is a liar, in which case what are we doing here? Why bother reading the Bible? Why bother trying to understand what it means if it's not true? So what happened here is not anything like uh, Elisha getting a long stick and fishing out the axe head. It's not some, some urban legend of Samaria that got handed down and embellished, right? It's just a story that God has recorded for us so that we can learn something about him. What can we learn about God in this passage? Well, I already said it. God is watching over his people. God is watching over his people. And it's important that it comes in between these grand political stories where we see God at work in the relations between the nation of Israel and the nation of the Arameans, their kings, their commanders, their rulers, and Elisha's involvement in that great, grand, glorious fight between God's people and not God's people, right? And then we've got this floating axe head. It has nothing to do with politics. There's no grand accomplishment of rescue of God's people. It's just a little thing. It might be a little bit bigger than you assume because <clears throat> have any of you ever bought an axe before? I bought one not too long ago. Did, who, who's bought an axe? Okay. How much does an axe cost? You bought an axe? Really? That's great. How, how, how much does an axe cost? Can anybody tell me how much an axe costs? What's that? $35. You, you, can, get, you can get a nice, nice axe for, for $35. If you want a really nice axe, you can probably spend $150. Right? Now, that's today. Rewind through history and go back prior to the Industrial Revolution, okay? And if you're going to make an axe, it's going to be really hard work. You don't just flip a great big circuit breaker and have electricity melt all of your metals together and come out with steel at the end, okay? If you're going to make an axe, you're going to have to start by collecting a lot of wood. To collect a lot of wood, you're going to need an axe. And if, you're not, if you don't have any metal to make an axe out of, 
you're going to have to make your axe out of stone. Or you're going to have to do a lot of work collecting coal. Okay? And, and, if you, and if you collect a lot of wood instead, you're going to have to make it into charcoal first so that it burns hot enough that you're going to be able to melt these metals. You don't just go to the store and for $35 pick up a new axe. That's all I'm trying to get across to you. Kids, there was no Menards. There weren't any Home Depots. You had to go to the one person in the area who was able to make metal and to work it and who had spent a long time training and perfecting his skill and who was able to make a new axe head. And so, <clears throat> if you borrowed an axe to cut down a couple of trees one day, and you lost that axe, or if the handle broke and the axe head went flying into the water and you lost the axe head, the axe head was the important part. Anybody can take a new piece of wood and make a new handle for it. If you lose that, you are in trouble. Because that's how you make a living. It's the tool that you use to make a living at that time. An axe. Alright? It's expensive. It would kind of be equivalent to borrowing your friend's car and then totaling it without insurance. It's going to take you a long time to pay back the loss of an axe head. You're not just going to run down to the hardware store and buy another one. Okay? And this man was one of the sons of the prophets, which means he feared God. He was not going to run away from the responsibility of paying back what he owed. He had borrowed an axe head. He had lost the axe head. He was going to have to pay for an axe head. It would take weeks, maybe months, to pay off that debt. And so, like I said at the beginning, it may be a little bit bigger deal than you initially were thinking. Oh yeah, lost axe head, whatever. You know, those are a dime a dozen. Not at that time. But still, it is just an axe head. It's still just months of work for some no-name guy that we know nothing about other than that this happened to him. He lost this axe head into the water. So why is this story in the Bible? It's sandwiched between these two grand narratives that deal with kings and capitals and armies and commanders. And it's down to this little no-name group of the sons of the prophets and one no-name man 
in there. And it demonstrates poignantly that God cares for the least of these. Not just for the rich, for the famous, for the powerful. Not just for his people as a large-scale entity altogether, but for the individuals that make up his people. One person, one no-name person. So here we are, Elisha, the sons of the prophets, and they're out of space. Now, <clears throat> have any of you ever lived in a house where you felt like you were out of space? I've lived in a house where I felt like I was out of space. When I went to college, I felt like I was out of space when I had a single dorm room. It was eight and a half by 11 feet. But you know, this is eight and a half by 11 inches. So just imagine blowing this up a little bit. And this was my room. I didn't know how good I had it, right? The sons of the prophets say to Elisha, Behold, now the place where we are living is too limited for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and each of us take from there a beam. Let us make a place there for ourselves where we may live. So he said, Go. Now they're coming to Elisha asking for approval of this plan that they have. And he gives his approval by saying, go. All right? But one of them, one of them says, well, aren't you going to come? Now, how many of you ha have ever had your kids say to you, but aren't you going to come? Our adult, adults are only, only ones that can raise their hands on this. Have you ever had, aren't, but aren't you going to come? Yeah. It's sweet, isn't it? When kids say to their parents, but aren't you going to come? And it's kind of irritating as a parent, isn't it? Sometimes, like, no. No, you go do it. You don't need me there. You go do it. But one of them says, please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. Now, do you think Elisha had better things to do with his time than to go watch them all cut down trees? I mean, he's Elisha. He deals with the captain of the Aramean army. He's Elisha. He's the leader of the sons of the prophets. Shouldn't he be writing part of the Bible or something? Shouldn't he be praying? Shouldn't, shouldn't he be doing deep spiritual work? Why should Elisha go and watch them cut trees down? They're going to make a house that he can live in because he's important.
when Elisha condescends to go with them. That means, condescends, kids, means lowers himself. Now, sometimes even kids have to lower themselves. Anybody who has to ask for help has to lower themselves to ask for help. Once they get above age three or so, and they have any concept of embarrassment, then you have to lower yourself to ask for help. You have to condescend to ask for help. But there's other times where you have to condescend to other people. So the moment that there's somebody younger than you, you will have to condescend to helping them. So if your mom says, would you please go outside and play with your little brother? Don't roll your eyes. Don't sigh. Just say what Elisha says. I will go. You're not so important as Elisha. Don't don't think your plans and your desires and your work is, well, but I have to do homework, Mom. Say, I will go. Yeah, I will go. He, he wants to play with you. Hear him asking you to go play cards with you? Oh, my goodness. Fathers, will you condescend to play games with your children? I mean, it is condescending, isn't it? It is lowering yourself to do something that they enjoy that you do not, that is not important to your great, grand, and glorious plans. Elisha Khan descends. You know what I did here? I wrote Elijah again in my, in my sermon. I keep doing that. At least I haven't said it yet. Have I said Elijah so far? It's not good. Okay. <clears throat> Elisha condescends. He, he lowers himself to going with them. And that is a picture of the way that God is condescending in this story. Because you know what? When Elisha goes with them, it doesn't give much reason why. It just says this this one guy asked him, what does he say? Please be willing, please be willing to go with your servants. And he answered, I shall go. Now, what if he had not gone? They come back from the Jordan without the axe head. That's what, right? This is included in the story so that we see how God is working ahead of time for the protection and provision of his people. They recognize the miracle. We recognize the miracle. Do we recognize the way that God was preparing for the miracle? 
And so, of course, you can look at all of the times that you condescend for somebody else and see the way that that was preparation for God accomplishing great things in an unexpected time. What is God accomplishing when you condescend to playing a game with your family? Why is it that I would say it's important for you to play games with your family? Doesn't sound very important. Just sounds like games, right? It's important because it's how you show your love. It's important because it's how God has chosen to accomplish His will in the lives of His people. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you always think that what you're doing is more important than your children, they will learn that lesson that they are not important to you, to God. So is it important for you to teach them the opposite? Yes. How are you going to teach them the opposite? Elisha could have written a lecture to them about how God provides. But instead, God sends him along with them when he condescends and says, I will go. What a beautiful picture that is, isn't it? In the the little daily things of life that you lower yourself to partake in, to be a part of, to out of love for others saying, yeah, I'll go. God works. Yes, Elisha is with them because they asked him to go, but really Elisha is with them because God was already providing for his people. God was already preparing for this event that seems like something so insignificant. Why is it recorded in the Bible for us? Is it because we lacked examples of how Elisha could perform great miracles? Of all the miracles of Elisha, this is probably the least of them that are recorded for us, right? The man of God said, where did it fall? Oh, wait, I skipped over. No. As one was felling a beam, the axe had fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Now, I've just gotten done saying, oh, this is the least of Elisha's miracles. Why do we have this one in the Bible? It's because God is revealing his care for his little ones, for us, for the people who don't matter. Not for the, for the great political accomplishments, but 
for the little personal problems. Now, was it a big deal to that guy? Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. Now, your stomach would fall out if you totaled your car, right? But if you borrowed a car and you totaled it, some of you have experienced this, borrowing a car and then totaling it. I've experienced it in the reverse, having my car borrowed and having it totaled. I can laugh about it now. Have, have you ever had your stomach fall out because of the, 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 the terrible oh, feeling? Oh, no. Oh, no. And, of course, we can deal with, with personal property and we can picture it that way. But, but I know you. I know many of you face that feeling of your stomach clenching and dropping or, or maybe coming up into your throat, either way, right? <laughs> Over so many things. Over so many things. What is going to happen to me? What am I going to do? What is my future going to hold? What am I going to do? Do I ever have any hope of paying it back, getting a job, getting married? Do I ever have any hope of having God's blessing in this life? Does God even care about me? What will come of me? What will come of my life? God cares about this guy. He doesn't even have his name recorded. God cares about him. Elijah says, the man of God says, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, take it up for yourself. I love the matter-of-factness of this this narrative, you know. And the matter-of-factness of Elisha. All right. Cut off a stick. All right. How's he cut off a stick? Probably takes another axe, right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Takes another axe, chops off a branch, throws it in the water there, and up comes the axe head. There you go. Take it. And then, so he put out his hand and took it. And that's the end of the story. And again, so what? Who cares? It's not like this axe had made an ounce of difference to us. It's not like it changed the history of the people of Israel over the coming years. It, it doesn't even have an impact in the very next verse. The rest of the chapter could go on entirely without this, and the story doesn't change at all. But God chose to record this miracle for us so that we would see how he cares for his people. So if your stomach is all tied up in knots, 
if you're looking at something that happened or something you're afraid is going to happen and, and you are anxious, you are worried, you don't know what is going to happen, how you're going to make it work, why don't you remember this guy? I, you can't, I can't even tell you to remember his name. And then, you know, 300 years, nobody's going to remember your name either. But you know what they might remember? They might remember one story passed down generation by generation of how God was at work in that one little way, demonstrating His care and His provision for His people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Amen.